This is June 20th, 2021, the summer solstice tonight. And of course, uh, the day after June 19th, Juneteenth, and our Independence Day coming up in a couple weeks. I'm going to attempt to braid together these points of realization um, and that of, of in Zen practice in astrology, the summer solstice, and both solstices are sometimes called points of realization. It's where uh, it's sort of the um, the high tide mark in terms of the summer solstice, the high tide, tide mark in uh, the uh, the yang side of things, the, uh, the day force, the sun at its highest uh, <clears throat> in the, in, throughout the year, its highest... Uh, Altitude declination in the northern hemisphere, in the southern hemisphere, of course, it's the opposite. Um, but first, Juneteenth is now officially a national holiday, as probably everyone knows who's listening to this. This week, Congress passed a a bill, they rushed it through, officially recognizing June 19th as a national holiday, commemorating the day in 1865 when enslaved people in Texas were finally informed that they had been freed over two years earlier, officially, by the Emancipation Proclamation. So that was, that the original Juneteenth, that, that the Texas commemoration was 156 years ago. Before going further, I want to read from an article, uh, bits of an article by uh, that I, I found online. I did something of a deep dive yesterday uh, with regard to Juneteenth, and um, this one caught my eye. It's by a uh, Caitlin Greenidge. Uh, a contributing writer, opinion writer to the New York Times, and is the author of the novel Liberty. Uh, and just a few sentences from here, just a kind of a retrospective. Uh, she says that although it has re recently gained nationwide attention, <clears throat> uh, having just become a, na a federal holiday, <clears throat> it originated as a Texas-specific celebration of the end of slavery. Other states and regions have their own traditions for marking emancipation. Um, crucially, these, these celebrations have different dates from place to place because freedom was gained through wildly different ways for black people across this country. Some uh, black communities, she writes, in the North and South have also celebrated Emancipation Day on the 1st of January because that was when Lincoln signed the Emancip Emancipation Proclamation into law. And by the way, in parentheses here, uh, with the caveat 
but it applied only to enslaved people in rebelling territories. Those in border states and territories in the Union, though, <clears throat> including Maryland, Missouri, and West Virginia, among others, remained legally enslaved. Black churches, she says, usually hosted these dates, that is Emancipation Day and the 1st of January, with watch nights on New Year's Eve melding together with community-wide celebrations on January 1st. And then she says, the varied regional histories of Emancipation Day celebrations are a reminder that freedom in this country has never meant the same thing to everyone, has definitely never been experienced the same, and has always been conditional. And of course, for all of the, the reason we have to celebrate that this is finally a federal law, and there is reason to celebrate that, of course, um, we know that structural, institutional, systemic racism uh, goes on and has always gone on in this country. Just to review what, what, what that is, uh, Reading, having read from uh, some some material online, uh, I learned finally that systemic systemic racism and structural racism are synonymous and used interchangeably. Um, these all these these structural, systemic, and institutional broadly refer to the uh, the system of structures that have procedures or processes that disadvantage African-Americans. According to the NAACP, it refers to the rules, practices, and customs once rooted in law with residual effects that reverberate through society. So <clears throat> uh, one clear example of systemic racism is redlining, uh, which was a system once used by banks and the real estate industry that literally outlined the neighborhoods where people of cover lived in red ink. If you lived inside the red lines, loans were considered risky and banks were less likely to give loans or invest. We, uh, we have our own uh, sorry history here in Rochester of redlining. It was banned in 1968, but the impact lives on preventing black family, families from amassing wealth at the same rate as their white neighbors on the other side of that red line. According to the Federal Reserve, the net worth of a typical white family is $171,000, which is 10 times greater than that of a black family. Structural racism. Homes in black neighborhoods are generally and historically worth less than white homes because the developers and businesses that make a neighborhood more prosperous are less likely to be there. Again, 
bringing it back to local, there is this uh, issue that gained a uh, flash of attention this, this summer, or, the, or spring rather, um, about Wegmans having no stores uh, within the city of Rochester. That means that the tax base is lower too, which has a trickle-down effect. Less tax dollars for schools, which means fewer kindergarten classes, fewer qualified teachers, and fewer advanced placement classes. A little more here. Uh, African Americans have lower graduation rates from high school and even fewer go on to graduate from college. And this, many have said, is caused in part by the school-to-prison pipeline that disproportionately impacts people of color. Once you have a prison record, it invades all aspects of your life. Getting everything from a, a job to an apartment becomes that much more difficult. How can we not feel anguish at a whole race of people in this country having so many disadvantages, having having finding it so hard to fight upstream against these these forces of, of structural and institutional racism. A little bit more here. Uh, many uh, children uh, of color, um, instead of getting the getting benefiting from additional educational and counseling services, they are isolated, punished, or incarcerated. Those who uh, complain that uh, affirmative action uh, is unfair uh, are missing the bigger picture. The big picture is <clears throat> there's a lot of, of compensation, a lot of reckoning that people of color are owed. And now uh, another article, this is from a, by Kevin Young. He's the director of the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. And he uh, brings more complexity to this, this uh, joyous um, event where Juneteenth is now a federal, federal holiday. He says, I'll just read bits of this too, what Juneteenth and other Emancipation Days commemorate is both the promise of freedom and its delay. And then, of course, because it's been 156 years uh, since uh, the original Juneteenth uh, before it became a federal holiday. The lesson of Juneteenth, he says, is both of celebration and expectation of freedom deferred, but still sought, and of the freedoms to come. Again, all of the work remains to be done uh, to catch up uh, in terms of 
in terms of equality. It's a daunting, daunting project that we can't delay on anymore. I, I, I could not help but see a, uh, a spiritual analog to all this, which is the very daunting project of um, uprooting um, our own greed, anger, and delusion. Each, uh, each step of the way, if we stick with Zen practice long enough, uh, we, we have the very real possibility of uh, insights of one kind or another. But insights are great. In, insights, especially some kind of... Um, breakthrough, what might be called Kensho, but usually is very, very light. But the great value of, of, of a breakthrough is to the, to the degree in which it enables us to practice more effectively, to go on practicing more effectively and doing the, the years, the lifetimes of mopping up that remains to be done. more here from this article by Kevin Young. Um, perhaps the commemorations from Tulsa, it, there was this recent 100-year uh, commemoration of the Tulsa massacre, this horrendous um, massacre of, in Oklahoma. Uh, he says, perhaps these commemorations should remind us of the threats that shadowed emancipation long after slavery was legally over. And now we're seeing, uh, maybe more, more vividly than in a long time, maybe ever, how democracy itself is under threat. He says, and that we need more than just one day to call our attention to freedoms delayed and denied. Maybe what we need is an emancipation season. Or, I can almost hear my late father say, just plain old full-throated freedom would be nice. And then we have this, uh, this, we see the same, the same challenge at work nationally, uh, where in 1776, the Declaration of Independence, uh, 
held out these exalted ideals, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty. Liberty in that document. And it took another 89 years before the original Juneteenth. 87 years until the Emancipation Proclamation. You know, the, the ideals of this country are great ones. They're, they're just remarkable. What, what was born in 1776, but there is this lag between the the formal inaugurating of this country and its ideals and the living, the, the, uh, the real embodying on a, on a national scale uh, those ideals. Again, it, it reminds me of, of how we can have these insights in Zen practice, but then there is this this lag we see we 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 are uh, shown a vista of what's possible, but uh, because because of uh, habit forces, because of karma, uh, we we continually get pulled back. We can't we can't fully. Uh, live up to these at all times. Nationally, we these ideals of liberty, freedom, um, have been betrayed. Not just delayed, but betrayed. The the this. The national work ahead of us is is just the, the, the collective work of us, each one of us, as individuals. I found another <clears throat> website from the Center for Racial Justice in Education. It had some couple of interesting definitions. One was collective liberation. I'll just read some of it. Collective liberation acknowledges that multiple oppressions exist and that we work in solidarity to undo oppression in ourselves, our families, our communities, and our institutions in order to achieve a world that is truly free. We work in solidarity. Also sounds like Sangha to me. To undo oppression in ourselves. Isn't this where it starts? How, how, 
how much can we liberate others until we ourselves have been liberated to one degree or another? And even after some degree of liberation, let's call it Kensho, again, there's just so much work. One of my favorite passages from a Chinese source uh, comes from uh, a, a great Chinese master, Kuaishan. He's asked, if after one has attained an instantaneous enlightenment, must he still cultivate his spiritual life? Do we still have to keep sitting after any measure of insight? Well, some will not. Uh, some will, even even short of Kensho, will uh, have some kind of liberating insight, maybe in Sashin, it's most likely in, in to happen in Sashin, and that's enough for them. Okay. That's where they're at. And then for even those who have had a breakthrough, have had some degree of Kensho, that's not enough. And then here, here is what the rest of what Kweishan says. If one is truly enlightened, truly enlightened, that's long beyond Kensho, if one is truly enlightened and has realized the fundamental and he is aware of it himself, in such case he is actually no longer tied to the poles of practice and no practice. But ordinarily, even though the original mind has been awakened by an intervening cause, yet there still remains the inertia of habit formed since the beginning of time which cannot be totally eliminated at a stroke, at a stroke. We could say are formed since even our independence as a country, since 1776 and before that, this inertia of habit. He must be taught to cut off completely the stream of his habitual ideas and views and I'm interjecting racist and otherwise, caused by these still operative karmas. And we, we, we so need one another to go stick with this, this effort so helpful to practice with others. Sangha. Sangha and its wisdom, example, and never-failing help. There's another definition from this Center for Racial Justice in Education, and, and that is transformation. Transformation is the daily and on daily and ongoing cycle of learning, unlearning, shedding, and growing that emerges into the creation of new and radical possibilities. Sure sounds like Zen practice to me.
learning and unlearning. You could you could see Zen practice as both. It's more famously known as a practice of unlearning. That is, uh, freeing ourselves of the concepts, the ideas, the views, the opinions that bind us to suffering. Of course, includes racism. Includes races, white racism as well as black racism. And shedding. Zen practice is a practice of daily losing. There's nothing we have to acquire. Zen practice doesn't give us anything that we don't already have. We just need to uh, slough off these binding mental acquisitions, these thoughts and ideas, and, then, and especially the more deeply seated ones, the entrenched ideas of self and other, and, and uh, more, more to the point here this morning, uh, us and them, tribalism in all of its forms. This is a big job. Transformation, it goes on, requires courage, as does Zen practice, intention, think of the Bodhisattva vows, and community in order to imagine a new and liberated future as distinct from our past. It wants us as individuals, institutions, and societies to hold the mirror to ourselves, reveal what systems of oppression have hidden from our consciousness, and envision a world where freedom, justice, and liberation are possible. Project of <clears throat> of true racial liberation, as 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 formidable as it is, um, is just a piece of this ultimate project of fulfilling the four vows. There was a, 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 a Greek philosopher, a Stoic philosopher, uh, Epictetus, who was born a slave, uh, who famously said, no man is free who is not master of himself. Who among us is master of ourself, master of our thoughts? Who can make that claim? These thoughts that are so tenacious, these thoughts to which we are really 
addicted to? How can we say that we have mastered our thoughts ever? Well, just, just to remind people, it's not a matter of eliminating thoughts, but developing the, 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 through practice, developing the ability to not cling to them as they arise. Zen Master Dogen, uh, also one of his most most well-known pronouncements, he said, there is no beginning to enlightenment or end to practice. There is no beginning to practice or end to enlightenment. Endless exertion. Endless exertion as voters. We have a primary coming up in two days a local primary, endless exertion as voters to do our part to first of all be informed of the candidates and then to get to the polls and, and vote. Don't think you have any right to complain if you're not voting. So there's that. Um, there's the responsibility we, we have to do what we can given the amount of time we can we can take to work together for um, political racial gender uh, equality now this most recent f threat flare-up of in Arizona and now other states of, uh, of um, election subversion, maybe you call it, even after all the certified results then going on with this inane um, effort to <clears throat> draw that into question. There's still voter suppression. Sort of another threat rising. The ongoing mass incarceration. Now, after centuries of supposed liberty in this country, attacks against critical race theory in public education, they keep these things will, we will continually encounter these, just as we do these Dharma gates without number. But how, how wonderful that we have a practice uh, that that enables us to to walk this path to, to undo as gradual as it may be a process
to undo these forces, starting with ourselves, in ourselves, and then to whatever extent we can, extending that outward. So long as we have this practice, and as long as we do the practice, then we can take heart from words of uh, Edmund Burke. He was an Irish statesman and in the, uh, like the eight, 18th or 19th century Irish statesman. He said, depend upon it that the lovers of freedom will be free. What do we want? What do we need? What is most important to us? How badly do we want to see through this greed, anger, and delusion. If, if, even if we can't live uh, in, in harmony with what we've seen, at least to see through it, see the, the emptiness, the insubstantiality of these, these karmic forces as powerful as they are. And to never be satisfied with anything, anything we... A point of realization, any point of, of understanding. <clears throat> I think at its great, at its broadest or most promising, uh, Juneteenth um, can amplify and expand the the. liberatory arch from the black experience throughout the country. We, can, we have every reason to, to take heart of it. This is no small thing. Uh, it's, it's for decades uh, the, uh, our representatives in, in Congress have blocked efforts to make this a national holiday, Juneteenth. It's done finally. You can question why some of these guys in the Senate <clears throat> who uh, clearly are not sympathetic to uh, racial injustice very much, why they would vote. All right, never mind. They voted. It's, it's law. Wonderful. It's a, it's a plateau. That, too, is the same with the practice. We reach plateaus, be low plateaus, and then somewhat higher plateaus. And it just gives us the footing, such as there's any footing to anything, gives us the footing to press off from there and go on, go forward. with this topic. Um, maybe it's better to quit while I'm ahead, <laughs> if I'm ahead at all. Uh, this wonderful saying, uh, less sometimes less is more. So we'll stop now and recite the four vows. <clears throat> 